So this morning is Trinity Sunday. Uh, our brothers and sisters around the world, across Canada, across North America, are celebrating the reality that God is three in one, Father, Spirit, and Son. And I have to admit, I, uh, I have taken the Trinity for granted in my life. Uh, I've never had a trouble with reconciling God as three, God as one, one essence, three persons. That's never been difficult for me. I've never laid awake at night um, trying to figure that out and questioning that. But I do have to tell you that in different parts of my life, I have found myself relating to one member of the Trinity at the expense of the other two. I remember when I was a boy, uh, the God the Father uh, was close to me. And I remember, I think, I remember I have this, this memory of walking into my grade school, kind of thinking about it, why I don't really talk with Jesus much or pray with Jesus or pray to Jesus, and thinking like, well, why would I go to him when I could go right to the top, right to the Father? Well, I can tell you that in my life, uh, the, I've grown, and uh, my relationship with Jesus is, I feel actually more connected with him than ever. But I'm also feeling this disconnection, or I want to cultivate this connection with the Holy Spirit as well. That's something I've been intentionally praying about on purpose, asking the Lord, Lord, help me to, to recognize where you're at work, Holy Spirit. I know that you are at work in us, and I, I've read scriptures about you, but Lord, help me to connect with you. But the thing is, um, the, the Holy Spirit, or sorry, the, the Trinity has been, uh, for some people, is really complicated. And, you know, and how do we hold together that God is three in one? And what do we do with passages in Scripture? I think of like Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Shema. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. How do we do that with images or stories from the New Testament? I think of Jesus' baptism where we have the Lord Jesus coming up out of the water. We have a voice in heaven, the Father, and the Holy Spirit coming down, all three together in one moment. Not one doing different things, but three persons of the, of the same God. So it's complicated with that. But then also, too, I, as I read some and occasionally hear things, that they are different groups. Um, some, there have been, in the history of the church, there have been some groups that said that you know, God is only one. There are some groups that have said that there's only one God, God the Father, and then there's Jesus who isn't quite God, and then there's the Spirit, and then all these sort of things I don't understand about like who the Spirit is. And um, but there's even still groups today, like Jehovah's Witness, uh, Mormon groups that, that say that you know there's a God the Father, there's only one God, but the other two, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, are actually not quite God. Really great, really powerful, but not quite God. What about skeptics, people, um, people who, are, who aren't interested in faith or in some ways want to question it, to challenge it? They come with sort of the mathematical, the scientific viewpoint, say, come on, Christians, this is nonsense. Three and one, it's, it's illogical. <laughs> and they question. And, and, you know, and for us, how do, we, how do we talk with people about that? I think about for me, as I can affirm a few things about the, the, the Trinity, the first I can say that God is one. The second I can say God is three persons. And the third thing I can confidently say is that it's a mystery to me. Then after that, it gets really complicated. <laughs> and I wonder if some of you have wrestled with some of that. Some of, you, some of you have wrestled with the question of how is God, God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit, what I do with certain Old Testament um, scriptures that affirm God is one. What I do with that, with New Testament scriptures, where we have the Father and the Spirit and the Son all working together in the same instance, what do we make of that? Or what about the people who challenge us? 
different groups, different religious groups who question us, who, who discount us as Christians because they, can't, they just can't get past the idea of God being three and one at the same time. And what about relationships? I mean, maybe some of you can relate to the idea that, um, or have a similar experience where I relate to one member of the Trinity really easily and not so much the other two. Maybe some of you have experienced that as well. Well, this morning, I wanted to come to, um, or to come to Trinity Sunday and talk some about the, the Trinity. Because it's funny, I think often I assume that most of us just know this, that we get it, and then it's not an issue for us. But I thought, um, since the rest of the church around the world is, is celebrating this, that maybe it would be good for us too. So if you would open up your Bibles, um, the first place we're going to open to, if you'd like, is Deuteronomy 6, or if you want to, it's on the insert here. So it's um, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 5. This is, uh, it's called in, in Israel or in, in Judaism, it's called the Shema. It's a central text that guides the Jewish people. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Then our next reading comes from John chapter 16, verses 5 to 15. This is Jesus speaking on the night before he was uh, handed over, or the night that he was handed over to be crucified. He's talking with his disciples in the upper room. This is a pretty large chunk of John's gospel. And so he's talking with his disciples, and he says, Now I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me, Where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment, in regard to sin because men do not believe in me, in regard to righteousness because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer, and in regard to judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from me what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. <clears throat> I, my life, uh, the nucleus of my faith is Jesus. The fact that he died and by faith that I believe that he rose again that he is not dead, dead, that he sits at God's right hand and reigns. That's the center of my faith. And because I believe that, because I believe that that is true, then I trust Jesus when he begins talking about what his father is like and when he, when he talks about what the spirit is like and when he sends him. So because of my central faith that I believe that Jesus died and rose again, I listen to him and trust him when he starts talking about the Trinity and, and how the three interact with us and with each other. Now, if you are still questioning Jesus, you know, not sure if he actually did rise again, or not sure if he's the Son of God or the Messiah, then I can understand how maybe you have uh, trouble or, or still have questions, because where do you begin? Where do you begin trying to unpack this idea or understand the idea of God that is three and one? But for those of us who begin with Jesus, who our faith is based on him, I say it's the lens through which we view our whole faith, is through him, through what he taught us, what he revealed about the Father and what he taught us about the Spirit. And I think about Jesus and what he said about himself. 
If I think about this, this week as I was thinking about uh, this morning and, and some of the things that Jesus said about himself, that he is actually not just a really good guy, not a really good teacher, not a powerful healer of people. He's more than all of those. He is actually God the Son. It's interesting because when he was on trial, standing before the high priest Caiaphas, the high priest asked him, he just said, he came right out and said, just tell us, are you the Christ or the Messiah? Are you the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God, or the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus says, I, I am, using the words that, that are connected with Yahweh of the Old Testament. He says, I, I am, and you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. Now to us, and there are some groups of people who say, well, he didn't really say, like, you know, what is Son of God, and does that mean he's divine? And, but in the ancient world, in the Hebrew world, that's about as clear as it gets. All those, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Son of Man, in reference to Daniel, all of these are divine figures. And so Jesus is saying, in his very Jewish way, yeah, you're right, I am the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God, the Son of Man who has come. But not only that, when Jesus was at the Feast of Tabernacles in John's Gospel, and he's teaching and challenging the religious leaders, <clears throat> And they ask him, you know, are you greater than our father Abraham? You know, because Abraham's way up there and you think you're better than him. <clears throat> and Jesus replies by saying, before Abraham was, I am. Again, using I, I am, the words of the Lord God. And they begin tearing their robes and trying to figure out how to kill him. Not only that, but in John's gospel, he begins the gospel by saying, uh, in the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Talking about Jesus, the Word of God, that he is not just present or created alongside all of creation, but he actually is God, eternally begotten, eternally existing with God, that he too is God. So we have to, if I'm listening to Jesus, because I believe him, because I trust him, I have to say that he is more than just a powerful religious teacher. He's more than just a really amazing prophet. He's more than just a really uh, wonderful miracle worker. He actually is the Son of God. He is God the Son. I think of the last thing, the place where Jesus, in, it's in uh, John's Gospel, where they're challenging him again. He says, the Father and I are one. And I take that to mean, as the church has tried to, the best they can, figure it out, He's saying that, that they are, Jesus and the Father are one essence, one being, with two persons, or with three persons, including the Spirit. That Jesus is saying that he is one with the Father. Now, I'm not saying this is easy for us to work out, because there aren't many examples. I mean, I know some people have used an example of an egg. You know, an egg has an outer shell, it has the white, and then it has the yolk in the center, you call it an egg, yet there's three parts to it. Some people, like a classic one is the, the three-leaf clover. They use that in, in Ireland with our Celtic brothers and sisters. You, know, you have three distinct lobes, yet it's one clover. There's different uh, analogies people have tried to get at, but I would just still say that ultimately it's, it's mysterious. We can't explain. There are certain things about our faith that we just can't explain in human terms. 
So I'm saying it's not easy. Sorry. <laughs> but I do trust Jesus when he says that he is the Son of God. But then also, too, I believe Jesus when he talks about the Holy Spirit as well. And if you look at the passage we have here from John, <clears throat> he says, Now I'm going to send a spirit to you, the counselor. If I don't go away, the counselor will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And I was thinking about it this week, that those things, convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, that's a lot of what Jesus was doing as well. So the Holy Spirit isn't just coming up with some new thing, but it actually is continuing the work of Jesus. But not only that, then Jesus goes on to say, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. So the Holy Spirit will take from Jesus. All that belongs to the Father is mine. So Jesus, what he has, comes from the Father. And that is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. But there's this interconnection between all three, Father and the Spirit and Son. But all three are engaged, all three are involved in revealing God to us. Now the thing is, how do we hold these, these two, that, these two things we've talked about so far? Jesus is actually God the Son. The Spirit is also equally God with the Father, all three. How do we hold that together with the first passage we read, was, which was from Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. Pretty clearly it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Right? And so I was reading uh, other New to, or excuse me, Old Testament scholars, those who study Deuteronomy for a living, and coming to what some of their comments on and how do they sort it out. And the, the one thing that, and actually it's, it's pretty cryptic in Hebrew, there's, we have, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, there's like eight words, ten words there. In Hebrew, it's just a few words. It's basically, listen, Israel, God, or the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, our God, Yahweh, one. They didn't have as many prepositions, and sometimes they would infer vowel or verbs. It's a little bit more complicated. But the word I want to focus on is one. The word one. It's actually in Hebrew, it's ahad. One. And it's actually used almost a thousand times through the Old Testament. And oftentimes it means literally like one, as in one thing. But it also can mean united. It can also mean unique or alone. It has a few other, I mean, there's some places where I saw, I, I had this thing where it kind of shows in, like, graphically how big of a section one and then a little bit, few more, it means unique or alone. And then there's all, like, there was, like, seemed like hundreds of little slices of other sort of connotations that ahad means in Hebrew. So it's a broad word with lots of different meanings. And I'm not just saying that to kind of try and unhinge it from reality to kind of make it say whatever I want to, but as I'm listening to Christians who are reading the New Testament and then reading this Shema from Deuteronomy, they're realizing that not only does it mean that God is one, but also that God is unified. Interesting, right? God is unified. Or another thing, that God is unique, that there is no other God like him. Or that God is alone. 
Actually, in the sense that there are no other gods. There's only one God. Paul talked about this when he sent a letter to the church in Corinth because they were eating idol meat and um, basically celebrating idols in temples. And he's saying not that there's actually other gods that we have to worry about, but that the idolatry leads us away from the one true God. So when we start hearing this, we start hearing it in the Old, text, or in the Old uh, Testament context, the ancient Near East, where they had all these different um, groups, uh, different tribes, and they all had their kind of our tribal god or tribal gods. And they were all saying, you know, our god is better than your god. No, no, our god is better than yours. Well, here, the Lord God is speaking to Israel, saying, your god is the one God. There are no other gods. Which is also a relief because many of those tribes, they had whole religious systems where they had a God for water, they had a God for fertility, they had a God for death, they had a God for life, they had a God for this and a God for that. And you never knew which God you were upsetting. And so they just lived in fear. And so they had, they would offer, they'd offer um, sacrifices all over the place trying to appease all these gods and if you, know, you got sick, well, you must have upset a god. Your oxen fell off a trail and broke its leg, you must have upset a god. And so Israel, the god of Israel, is saying to them, that's not reality. That's not how things work. There is one god, the Lord God. And so imagine in that context, in these, all these tribes with all these different religious systems, and you have the Lord God saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. The Lord is united. The Lord is unique. The Lord is alone. He is God. Do you hear the difference? Do you hear what I think, uh, as Christians, we begin to understand what the Shema means? Because we, we know that Jesus is God from the New Testament, from the Gospels, from the things that Paul taught to the churches. We know that the Holy Spirit is God as well, from what Jesus taught us, from what Paul taught us, from what we read in Acts in the, in the work of the Spirit. So I think this helps us to hold us together that, that the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. It begins to have this broader meaning that the Lord is united. The Lord alone is God, all three, three in one. So this is just the beginning of understanding the Trinity. I mean, there's books, and Christians have been uh, talking about it and trying to figure it out since the beginning, over 2,000 years. But this is just the beginning for those maybe who have questions about, you know, how is God three in one? What do we do with the Old Testament where it says one? What do we do with the New Testament where there's obviously three members of this trinity? So it's just the beginning. But I believe the place we begin is through the lens of Jesus, by begin with him. What he taught about God the Father, about his relationship, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? The thing I'm interested for us this morning is talking about is how do we relate to the three members of the Trinity. Because it's interesting, it's not like a hard and fast rule, but I see when there are certain groups who tend to relate more to the Father and God's holiness and his sovereignty. And those groups can tend sometimes toward being, because they're so um, adamant about proving how holy God is, they, those groups can become kind of rigid. And I think of like the Pharisees as a group kind of in, in that sort of category when God the Father is the main one they relate to at the expense of the others. But then I also think about groups that mainly relate to Jesus, and I can see how they see God's grace and how approachable God was. Whereas God the Father seems distant and far and totally above, Jesus seems with us, right? You could almost touch him. You can imagine the people of first century Galilee 
touching his robes or falling at his feet or eating meals with him. God seems so approachable. The downside of it is people can begin to think that God is, just excuses stuff. Because you know, Jesus is so gracious, but he never just excused sin. He knew what he was going to do to, to save people from sin. But he never just excuses it. He never just says, oh, I'm sure you didn't mean it. He always says, you've been forgiven. Go and sin no more. I think sometimes when we relate too much to just Jesus at the expense of the other, we can forget about God's holiness. And we can actually begin to enable people to keep on sinning. Say, you know, oh, I'm, I know you're trying your best, but you know, maybe someday you can worry about following Jesus more faithfully or, or getting that sin out of your life. It's one of the troubles if Jesus is the center or he's the only one at the expense of the other two. And what about the Holy Spirit? I've seen some groups where the uh, Holy Spirit is the main person in the Trinity they connect with. And it's great because we need the Holy Spirit because he reminds us that God continually is doing new things, unexpected things. Things that maybe seem a little bit off to us at first or abnormal because they're actually super normal. But you also know some of those groups where the Holy Spirit is the main one they relate to and things can get pretty crazy pretty fast, even to the point where it begins to actually detract from the good news, detract from the gospel. People are doing just weird things that aren't actually uh, furthering the kingdom of God. So if we focus on any one of them, the Father, the, uh, the Lord Jesus, or the Spirit, above the other two, things can get out of balance. So we need to keep worshiping our triune God, equally coming to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Because we need the God the Father to remind us that God is holy. And as much as we love the Lord God and as much as he loves us, we always need to approach him with reverence. But at the same time, we have Jesus, who reminds us that God is gracious that no matter what we've done, how horrible we think we've failed, we can still approach the living God because of what he's done. We can come to the Lord God and ask for forgiveness. We can come to the Lord God and, and say, Lord, I love you. And in, almost in this way, like put our arms around him. We can remember that God is with us. And we need the Spirit to balance us, uh, this out as well, to remind us that God does unexpected things. Just when we think, just when we think we've got God all sorted out and we know exactly what God does do and what he doesn't do, the Holy Spirit comes in and says, actually, no, I'm over here and I'm doing this brand new thing that you never expected. We need the Holy Spirit as well. We need all three to keep us in balance. So I was thinking to this last week as I was preparing for this morning about, some of you might be asking, okay, Jason, I hear what you're saying. I'm seeing how God is three and how God is one. And I'm seeing the importance of relating to all three at the same time to keep our faith in balance. But how do we do that, right? Well, I mean, it's really simple, and I'm sure you have some other ideas, but two things that came to mind was one was reading Scripture, and the other was praying. And by reading Scripture, I mean, if we feel like, you know, I, I need to connect more with God the Father. Connecting with the Holy Spirit is just natural for me. I do that all the time, but God the Father still seems sort of distant. How do I connect with him? I would suggest reading the Psalms reading the Psalms as a way to connect with God the Father. Maybe some of you feel God the Father is really easy for me to connect to, and I know Jesus is my Savior, but in terms of a relationship with him, I don't know what you're talking about, or it feels uh, small or underdeveloped. I would say read the Gospels. If you want to connect more with Jesus, read the Gospels. And maybe some of you are thinking, you know, I, I get God the Father, I get Jesus the Son, but honestly, the Holy Spirit kind of scares me because I've seen some of the groups and what they do, and... 
But if you want to connect with the Holy Spirit, read the book of Acts. Some have talked about the book of Acts as, um, some have called it the Acts of the Apostles. Some have called it, um, some have actually called it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because you see the Holy Spirit at work moving the church into mission. So if you want to connect with God the Father, read Psalms. If you want to connect with, with the Lord Jesus, read the Gospels. If you want to connect more with the Holy Spirit, read Acts. And then in praying, praying, Lord, to the Father, Lord, help me see your sovereigns. Let me see how you are holy and to come, with, and come towards you with reverence. Or maybe talking with Jesus, Lord, help me to see your grace. I feel like I am unworthy. Help me to see that I can approach you. Or maybe Holy Spirit, Lord, help me to see where you're at work. Holy Spirit, I'm grateful that you are in us. Help me to see where you're at work in our community in, in unexpected ways. So by reading scripture and by praying to each member of the Trinity, our faith comes more into balance. And that's richer for us. So I hope this morning, as we talk about the Spirit as the Trinity, you know, I'm hopeful many of you are thinking, you know, thanks, Jason, you know, it wasn't a big issue for me. I hope many that's where you are. But if there are some of you who had a question of, how is God three in one? Then maybe you're hearing the beginning of how that works out. And you're also beginning to see the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Amen.